Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is episode number 76, and Tech Talks. Tech Talks. So this, I think we should call this episode something like Mobile Couch Tech Talks, or Mobile Couch TV Tech Talks, because that's effectively what it's going to be. Okay. So this is hot off the press. Yesterday, I went up to Sydney from Canberra, where we record and live, yep. to go to the Apple TV Tech Talks. So we were, Australia was lucky enough to get a Tech Talk this time. I think this last time, time they did the Tech Talks... They didn't, didn't make one. it to this side of the but world? then didn't something happen? Oh, no, that one's secret. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a secret. That was secret. But then the tech talks this year weren't exactly like, weren't exactly a thing until people started telling me that they were like, that they were going, that they'd been invited and were going. Oh, did you not get the email? I got nothing. That's nothing. So, so was that's a bunch what of people that didn't get invited. Is, no, so what happened was it was a lottery, right? Yeah. Just how they did that. Wasn't there a lottery for Watch Labs or something as well? Yeah, but they, they what they do is they only send it out to the people who have already got it, essentially. That's how they do, though. They, that's how they so did the, the Watch Labs. I lot didn't get labs. invited to whatever the last lottery that wasn't WWDC was. It was and the was, Watch Labs. Oh, and it was also, it was the, the development watch. That's what I'm remembering. Remember they did a, we've got a whole pile of blue watches or something that you can yeah, enter a lottery yeah. to buy. So I wasn't yep. invited. I'd never got that email either. But I did get this one to invite me to enter for the yeah. chance to go to the tech talks, which I did. I don't understand lotteries. I like, I don't, it's not that I don't like them. I just, they're, they're, they're a bit hard to get my head around. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't think this one was rigged. I, I think most of them are rigged. This one, I couldn't see any pattern of, like, there were a lot of people there. Most of them didn't have or had even done Apple TV before. So maybe that was something. Like, maybe they were trying to encourage people who hadn't done it. Maybe to the, start doing it. Apple TV was done via a lottery as well. Yeah. The new Apple TVs, when they went out to develop it, like the developer kits were available. Yeah. They were available by lottery. And, and I did, did get two that rounds. one. I did enter for that. They, so, did, they got two rounds of yeah. that. Yeah. And I didn't get the first round, but I did get the second round. Yeah. And I didn't get a USB-C cable. Oh, that would be annoying. Those things are so hard to buy. They, they were nowhere. <laughs> they were nowhere. You couldn't get them anywhere. And I was like going around to the Apple store and stores like J-Car. And yeah. the only way I could get a USB-C cable was to buy a mail-to-mail USB-A cable. You mm-hmm. know, the regular duckbill style one. And then one of the like $50 adapters that apple sells right because that was literally the only thing that you could you could actually buy and so i had i've got this now got this like three meter long uh, usb mail-to-mail cable and an adapter that i'll it's just it's just not it's not as nice as having like a regular cable and also it cost me like three times as as much as one and did you actually use it yeah i used it at least twice (laughs) 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 uh Fun times. So I found one person yesterday who had actually made an Apple TV app, and there were probably, right. I'm going to say there were about 200 people there in the audience, and I spoke to a lot of them. Yep. So the, the rate of Apple TV apps being published to the App Store, at least in that crowd, was quite low. Right. But anyway, it was a pretty fun day. It was a full-on day. There were a talk every 45 minutes. So they did, you know, two or three talks and then a break, and then two or three talks and a break. And each talk was about 45 minutes long. You could go to all of them? It wasn't yeah, like so there was, dub There was It was like a mini dub-dub. So there was a session room and a lab room. So labs they ran running, all day as well. Were they, so they were running side by side. Okay. Yeah, so you, to go to a lab, you would either have to skip a break or skip a talk. Right. But that was that was fair enough. And they had credit to Apple. like It was well put on. They had a lot of people there. Yep. It's not like they fly individual people in for each 
lab, I guess, everyone there that I met had gone to every tech talk. So they were flying this large group around the world. So even the people that, you know, check you in and give you your ticket. Oh, really? They were from Apple, just like the people who check you in at WWDC. So yeah, they, okay. they, I asked them, she's like, yeah, we've been everywhere. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well done, Apple. I think I like this new, more open Apple. And in saying that, if you didn't get to go, all of this is was recorded and will be available online and they've just started putting it up. So maybe even by the time this episode's out, the videos will be up because yeah. they said the videos are coming soon. So there are resources that are already available and we'll link those in the show yeah, notes. which include the, the slides from the talks. Okay. And the talks themselves, like the videos of the talks will be available on video yeah and so well, i guess we'll we'll link those if they're out by the time of the episode comes out and otherwise we'll add them when they do yeah the ones in the afternoon were way more technical yep and i think if you're interested in the really low down details of particular aspects of apple tv development you should just watch the video because all i would be doing was repeating the exact same sentences they said and they said them better <laughs> And also, if they're 45 minutes long, then That's by true. the time we get through everything, <laughs> it, this, this podcast will be five hours. Yeah. So what I, what I thought we could do is I would go over the ones that were more, especially from the morning, more an overview. Yep. So there was some design ones, so things to think about when you're designing your Apple TV app. Um, there was the overall thoughts to try and take in about what's different between designing for a mobile and designing for a TV. So there's, there are some crucial differences there. Okay. Which is kind of obvious once they tell you them. But beforehand, I will admit I hadn't thought of that. And there was a talk on what's called the focus engine. And that one was really good because I spoke to people who had actually done Apple TV development. And they had said they didn't really get it from reading the docs. And now that they've seen this session, they were like, I totally get what they were trying to do there now. And then in the afternoon, yep. probably the best talk of all ever <laughs> was from the app store team so they focused on apple tv app store but a lot of the details in there included some ios stuff and it and was stuff can... that they just never talk about so right. there was a whole pile of details about what business models are successful on the app store there was an entire section on what they do when they're featuring an app they gave an email to send to if you want to be featured Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, wow. All those details are more to come. <laughs> this is like clickbait mobile couch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to stay tuned right to the end. Yeah. Uh, That's exactly what they did too. They announced yeah. it in the morning. There's a talk from the App Store team, which you're really going to want to see. Yeah. It's last. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So jerks. Let's get into it. So the, the start of the day, like I've already said, started off with a, a grand overview of Apple TV and kind of the thoughts that they envisioned apple tv to be so obviously it's a device for the living room it's not a mobile no but and it, that's a big difference but you use it from a couch so that's why we can talk about it exactly hmm. and you could move the couch which makes it mobile yeah the other thing which i didn't realize well i mean i did realize but i didn't realize to think about it was it's always plugged into the internet like an apple tv doesn't work without the internet you can't assume that the internet connection is good but you can assume basically that if they're using your app They've got internet. I mean, so you don't have to worry about cases where it, the internet is offline or... I mean, obviously you do. Yeah. But you don't have to really cater to it. You can kind of just say, this app completely doesn't work without the internet. Yeah, and okay. that's totally fine. Yeah, okay. Because the entire Apple TV doesn't work without the internet. Whereas you kind of need to... On a mobile, people... Yeah. 
you know, expect their apps to work on the train when they've gone through a tunnel. Also, they might be using an iPod Touch. Do people still use iPod Touches? Maybe, but yes, you're right. So um, they might not be so on Wi Fi. Like they might not have Wi Fi because they're, you know, out, but they want to open up their app for whatever reason. Yeah. So Apple kind of used this always on internet thought process when they were designing it, which brings us to the on demand resources. Yep. You might have heard, you might not have heard. There's basically no way to store local storage for your app, which seems crazy coming from a yeah, like no a mobile development. Like that. So you do have a cache directory. There's yeah. no guarantee it will stay around. Yeah. So, so that's just used for if you want to download something, process it, and then you don't care really about that file anymore. Yeah. You do have NSUser defaults. It's limited to 500 kilobytes. And okay. you do have Keychain, which is also limited, but they didn't say what the limit is. I'm assuming it's the same as iOS, whatever that limit is. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. So there's no documents directory. There's none of those normal ones that you're used to. There's nowhere to store your core data database. So what oh. they want you to do is either use iCloud Keychain or CloudKit or whatever, whatever online service you feel like using. Yeah, well, I mean, you, if you use CloudKit, you can use like uh, core data and stuff like that. Correct, yeah. yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And what that also means is they really want you to use the whole app slicing on-demand resources thing. Right, which is the thing that we've, I think we've mentioned it slightly We mentioned before. it, I think, in the WWDC talk we did. Yeah. And it's the ability to provide resources through the App Store, but not in that initial download. Yeah, okay. So your initial download, they really want you to think about your initial download experience. So that initial install should be pretty quick, as yep. quick as you can, really. Uh, and then once you're in the app, you download what the user actually wants to use. So they gave an example of, say, a music app. Yep. Um, and so the initial app downloads and you get a nice category of, it was like classical music. And so when they tap on a song, you would then go and download the song. You wouldn't include all the songs in right, that initial in the, download. in the initial download. But you're more likely to use that with without using on-demand resources, though, because... That's true. So that's more of a streaming example. Yeah. I might be confusing It'd be more like games. It'd be more like they game levels. They also used game levels as the other yeah, example. which so is the one that they use all the time. They showed Rayman, which is on Apple TV. Yep. And I'll go into it a bit later on, but there's a whole pile of strategies you can use to try and make it as if appear as if the entire thing is there. Okay. But it's not. Okay. So, you know, you think about when they're going to need that content and you start trying to download it in the background before they actually get there. Yeah. And then it feels like they're just getting it straight away. Yeah. So we'll go into that because I've got a whole pile of notes on on-demand resources. And it's also relevant to iOS, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. That talk was good. Cool. So the other thing that they're, I guess, kind of excited about but want you to think about is when you're developing your app for iOS, most people, and this is funny that Apple are admitting this because at WWDC they never seem to admit it, Yep. Most people have to support older versions, so you kind of have to pull back on your performance. Right. You know, so yeah. like if you're still supporting the 4S, you can't make your app pump the CPU as hard as it could on a 6S, say. Yeah. Because you need to be able to still perform on a 4S. So they're excited that this is a new baseline. Yep. You kind of just have to support that, and they're hoping that that helps with development. Okay. So they they talked about that for quite a, quite a while, actually. And it was really? Like, all right, we get oh. it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we we all know it's it's like they they're overcompensating in admitting. Yeah, it's true. Another thing which they mentioned in the overview, which most people I think already knew as well, TVOS is a separate binary. Yeah, so it builds separately to iOS. Just be aware, it's not your iOS app running just with a big screen. It's actually a separate binary that's built 
separately. So you would ha- if you opened up your app bundle, there would actually be two executables in there. It's kind of like um, it's actually kind of like WatchOS two in that regard as exactly well. Exactly like that. I mean, WatchOS one was still kind of like that. That but was it more was, of an extension. It was different. Yeah, but WatchOS two is definitely like it's a whole its own separate thing that you just include. Yeah, and the other point was pretty much every framework that's available on iOS is available on Apple TV. Except for Except WebKit. Yep. But JavaScript Core is there, but yeah. WebKit's not there. So a little bit of a side mm-hmm. trip. Uh, the thing that I used my um, my USB-C Frankenstein cable yep. for was to build a web browser. Um, How did that go for you? Because what I wanted to do, when I had when I got my Apple TV and was using it for the first week, I was in Sydney, and I, I that meant I was in like hotels, so I would had to wait like you know multiple weeks before I got you know got a chance to actually do anything. I wanted to get around the uh, the proxy thing, the way that that gets in the way with uh, with hotels. hotels. Yeah. yeah, you know how you get like you might get that little like the window that pops yep. up, and it will ask you to like enter the code that you were given at reception or whatever. I wouldn't, I couldn't do that because it doesn't have a web browser. I get you. I found a, I found online a a project that somebody put together, like that was a proof of concept of a web browser. It was, I mean, it was terrible, but and I'll probably I'll find it and link it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, it wasn't at the time. I mean, it might have changed, but it was it was kind of terrible to use. But the whole point was just to be able to actually like load that page and click click the button. And so the trick to do it was, I it, it just used it just used w, like WK Web View or whatever yeah. the, the view is called. Um, but you had to like go into the libraries and essentially switch off switch off a thing to say that WebKit isn't available on TV. So it's there. It's just not. It's just ah. not enabled. Which is that's weird. Part of the reason it was really horrible to use was because you know how in like on iOS, if you tap on a like a, yeah. in a web view where you get like a field or like an input or something, and then the keyboard pops up, there is nothing like that with TVOS. Yeah, right. Um, it would take you. It could take you to a like a different screen, but that's clearly not implemented. So I guess they just don't have a way. That, there's no real way of properly interacting with it and so maybe it, that's why it it's not there so yeah it did so the way what i had to do was i had to go in and modify these files which is not an easy task and if you are not comfortable messing about with the innards of your uh system libraries then yeah. don't do it so once i had made those modifications i could build, then build the app because otherwise i would get errors saying yeah, yeah, it's okay. not available and it would build and run and then what i would get is the app had like a, a thing where you could enter a um, enter a URL. So I would type in just any uh, any URL like apple.com mm-hmm. and that would make the proxy yep. web page show up. And then I had like a box that I had to enter a code in and a button to like, you know, okay. And I could hit the button, but I couldn't enter the code yeah. because you can't tap the field. So what I had to do was... Some sort of JavaScript hack thing? What I had to do was, uh, you, you know how on in Safari you can, um, with developer mode in Safari, yep. you can actually hook into any WK web view mm-hmm. in any app so that you can do debugging of stuff. Yeah. So with that, I opened up the inspector and went into the found oh, the nice. field and set the value in the code with That's the inspector and then hit the button. And it worked. And then the Apple TV just started working. And then just like I could use the internet. <laughs> That's really cool. So much effort. It was so much effort. And don't don't try this at home uh, unless you're really, really comfortable with messing about with that stuff. But it, it, I mean, it's the thing is, it's there. Like you, you could theoretically use it. I'm guessing that it's not been included, but probably because the implementation hasn't been correctly thought through. That's 100% up Apple's alley. And so it's, you know, I... I 
can totally see why uh, it's not included. Anyway, sorry, I totally went off track. No, it's actually an interesting story. Okay, so that was the overview talk. Yep. It was pretty short. Um, but then came up an Apple designer, who I'm guessing is from helped design the Apple TV. She seemed to know a lot about it anyway. Okay. To talk about some of the things to think about when designing an Apple TV app. So they have, I guess, three key points. The Apple TV is connected, clear, and immersive. That's what makes good Apple TV design. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Made no sense at that point. Yep. So it's connected to a TV, obviously. <laughs> but you have to think about what that means. So that means it's a communal device. So on iOS, you could kind of assume the whole time that it's the same person using the app all the time. Like. Yep. People handing their phone to someone else does happen, but it's quite rare, I guess. You don't really have to think about it too much. Yeah. I mean, iPads iPads, iPads more. have a te- tendency to be communal. I think Apple mm-hmm. is finally kind of admitting that with the whole yeah, school yeah. thing that they're starting That's to trial right. and stuff like that. But but uh, on a TV... But TVs are definitely... Like, they're definitely. always communal, really. You've got people sitting around them. People pass the remote to each other. Yep. So they really want you to think about that. So sign-in dialogues at the start of apps is pretty much a big no-no because it's a communal device. They gave some examples of apps that delay their sign-in as far as possible. So they had, you know, shopping apps. Actually, the first point they made was if you don't really need a sign-in, just don't include one. Like unless there's a very good reason to have one. Like you want to harvest emails. Yes. Like you said (laughs) last 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 week. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Don't include one. They're not really (laughs) suited to Apple TV. Okay. And if you do really need one, delay it as far as possible. So in the shopping app, it was when you actually go and click buy now. Like you've, you've put all your items in your cart and you click buy Which is now. how it works on like the internet or whatever. Yeah, a that's lot, right. Nine times out of ten anyway. That's right. Another one is it's quite a common situation for people to get up and walk away, make a cup of tea, cook dinner, and then come back. And so quite a lot of time has passed in that space. And so your app has to be clear about what's going on. So that doesn't happen as much on iOS, I guess. But if for a TV, totally, people can walk away for hours and then come back. And it needs to be very obvious straight away what's actually selected on the TV. Yeah. And so you have to think about that. Yep. And then they kind of went into a lot of how they imagine TV apps to kind of be, I guess, laid out, including like the navigational hierarchy. So that they're definitely set out like trees. It's not like a graph hierarchy yep. of navigation for your different screens. It's it's a tree. So clicks on the remote take you deeper and pushes on the menu button take you back. Right. And you have to maintain that menu button takes me back sort of mode throughout your app. So they don't want you using the menu button. And they didn't actually say it, but it sounds like your app might be rejected. The menu button, which you can override because games need to be able to override it to instead bring up a pause screen. The menu button has to be that kind of behavior. Back, pause, take me to options. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. And holding down the menu button closes an app anyway. So you kind of want your behavior on the menu button to be similar in behavior to that. They use translucency to indicate depth, kind of like iOS, but it's much more obvious on a big screen. So you have to remember you're designing for a big screen that people are sitting quite far back from so everything is big big full screen images for that cinematic experience they said that a lot um (laughs) and then when you want to present something on top of that you use translucency to indicate depth so they gave the example of how siri pops up over the top so they fade out the background have a translucent layer that comes up with siri 
to indicate that this is in front. They want like for it to feel closer to you on the couch to indicate this is important. Okay. They do the same with selection. So this is where the I guess the whole focus engine first started getting mentioned. The Apple TV uses rather than a cursor, which they hate. <laughs> like they did a whole section at the end on why we didn't use a cursor. Scrolling around like with a mouse yeah. with your remote. Yeah. It's bad. That's very inaccurate. The web view thing that I used um, the the web thing that I built well not built the yeah. web thing that I ran on my device used a cursor and it was horrible to use exactly because you would like swipe and it would just go across yeah. the screen to and the, you'd too miss far. right and you'd miss so, yeah you know you're trying to go right and it does go right but it also goes up a bit and you missed the button you were after yeah it's so not... they they were saying never use a cursor yeah. if you think you're in a situation that a cursor would be better please email me and I will tell you you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're holding it wrong. So the way uh, they use a focus model, so swiping around swipes you to the next closest thing that you would want to interact with, right? Right. So it's very obvious in a grid. So you swipe right, move right along the grid, and yeah. each item gets bigger. You're and swiping bigger. to you're swiping to the thing towards the thing that you want to go to. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings it up. Rather than moving a cursor over there and tapping on it or whatever, you swipe across. And you need to design your apps for that to be obvious, right? So yeah. you don't don't lay things out in weird, I guess, lines. So you want kind of alignment because that's the way selection works on the Apple TV is with this focus model. It kind of works as if there is a cursor, but it attaches to whatever's yeah, next in the thing. Yeah, it jumps, right? Like it, just, like it just moves across and it kind of clicks onto the thing. Yeah, and so like I guess everything in design, and especially Apple design, all this seems obvious once they've told you it, yeah. but you never think about it. Like so much thought has gone into this hmm. and because so much thought's gone into it, it seems obvious, but it's so not obvious. So anyway, as things scroll along, you bring them bigger and closer. You always have to indicate this comes back to people can get up and walk away. What's selected? So most apps do the what selected becomes bigger and I guess looks closer to you on the couch. Some apps, games find that, I guess, not harder to do, but... They've got more options to them because they're already in a fully custom interface. So they gave an example of a kid's game, which the item that's selected glows and also animates. Yeah, okay. So same same thing. They're like, this is also very good. You don't have to do the bring it closer to you on this couch thing. You so just have to make sure it's obvious. The other thing that I've noticed the Apple TV does, I think mostly in the Apple apps and in the Springboard probably, launch board? I don't know what it's called. On yeah, the neither. <laughs> the icons that you have selected... Um, like they obviously come forward and you can do the little like you know parallax and like parallax thing mm. and that's very cool uh, but if you leave it for a bit and it's on whatever it's selected after a while the screen will kind of darken even more and it will bring oh, that's the cool. icon closer too. to you and so what it ends up doing is it really highlights what's it really highlights what's so selected so they didn't mention that but that's that whole walking away thing yeah. that they're trying to help with yeah so that way when and it's it's immediately noticeable because essentially it's like 50% black on the rest of the screen and then you've got a one icon that's just, that's like full brightness yeah yeah that's really cool they didn't mention that but you're so right and it's well, exactly what they that's an implementation detail but that's that's the sort of thing that you can do to kind of help with that i guess yeah so that was kind of it for that design talk there was one more later on with yeah. more details definitely recommend watching the video for the design talks because they were good especially if you're a designer yep so the next talk was on the focus engine so they kind of showed the focus engine and like the thoughts behind why they've used that and not a cursor 
And then up came the developer evangelist again to show you how you actually go about implementing this. Okay. So they've put a lot of thought into trying to help you get this right. Um, But I talked to people in the break and they said they had no idea. Like watching the talk made so much more sense now because when they were actually trying to do it themselves, they couldn't understand why certain decisions were made with the API. Yep. So for instance, there's no method to set focus here. There's there's nothing to do that. So like you can't say set this view is focused. Ooh. I think there are hacky ways to do it. So Apple did that because they never want you to just jump focus somewhere. They're trying to force you to support the swiping left, right, up, down, so people move to it. Yeah. They found that in their testing, it's a very jarring situation if the focus just jumps to something. So you can I guess, highlight something to make it suggest maybe this is what you're looking for and they can scroll down to it. Okay. But they don't want you to actually just jump to something. And that's why there's no set focus. There is get focused view. So you can get what is currently you can focused. find out what's focused. But yep. those properties are read only. Yeah. And what about, like, what about if you have, I don't know, as an example, dialog boxes on, on Mac OS, I guess. Mm. Sometimes you have a button that is like, has initial focus. That's exactly right. There are a whole pile of methods, and I didn't write down the actual method names because they were really long. Yeah. Classic Apple API. Yeah. You can set up kind of like the responder chain, an initial focus, Okay. I guess, chain. Yeah. So whatever view is furthest into the hierarchy. So every, any view can implement this initial focus, whatever it was called, method, to return a view that they want initially focused. Okay. And the you know there's some algorithm to decide which view is the most important, and so we'll take that focus it's kind of as well same as like touch dispatch yeah okay so there's yeah. a big chain of this is what i want focused this is what i want focused and it decides based on that which one to focus first and so rather that that way rather than having like the you know the top left box highlighted yeah you can have one that's like centered or something exactly. even though it's not necessarily first on which the could, screen which could legit happen like the center yeah. item could be really big in your design and then you've got some items around it which are sub items and small so you yeah, want that exactly. center one yeah you'd want it focused well i can just see it being like you know a game screen where you've got like you know these items that kind of surround it that, that are like menu items yeah and a big you know a giant play button in the middle that's like play the game exactly but you don't want one of the other things to be selected at first yeah so then the next thing that happens from that initially focused item is they're going to swipe left right up down whatever yep so based on the swipe direction which we're which works diagonally as well the apple tv i guess tv os draws a rectangle from what you had selected so let's say we swipe right okay it's going to draw a rect not actually draw but you know this is how you can envision it Yep. Draws a rectangle at the height of the item you were on yep. across in the direction that you swiped all the way to the edge of the screen. Okay. So now you've got this rectangle and it finds all the views in that rectangle and will return the one that is closest to the initial or the currently focused item. And then that will become focused. Uh, That's okay. how it works. Yeah. So when you're laying out your view, you have to keep that in mind. But then there are times where it's natural to want to jump the focus somewhere else, even though they swiped right, you might want to go down. I know that sounds stupid, yeah. but I'm going to give you a perfect example of it. Yeah, okay. You've got a big grid of items. Yeah. Um, say it's like three by infinite depth. Yep. When I swipe right and I get to the third item, if I swipe right there, I should You'll probably jump, jump to the, to the next, next row yeah. on the left. Yeah, okay. Makes sense, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like the Your rectangles not going to find that. Yep. And so this was the bit that a lot of people didn't seem to get from the documentation. 
that now seems obvious. Yeah. They've got a built-in way of supporting this. Okay. So most people were just implementing some sort of hacky thing to get that to work. Yeah. The way you do it is they have these invisible objects called focus guides. And they're kind of like a redirect. It's like the portal thing. It's exactly like that. <laughs> the the round like hole that you create with portal guns. It's pretty much exactly like that. So yeah. you chuck these invisible views into your view hierarchy. And when they become focused, I guess. They so when they're the returned as yeah, the, the next focusable item, they redirect the focus to another item. So, so you, you kind of link the blue them. one and then you shoot the orange one. Yeah. And then it, yeah, okay. So portal. they exist. Not many people, at least that I talked to, had even heard of them. And that's how you're meant to handle that situation. I'm pretty sure Collection View supports that by default. So you don't actually have to chuck focus guides. No, but you might. But it could happen like with your own layout. So those exist. Use them. You don't have to do some hacky thing to jump the focus to the next item, even if it does make sense in your design. They've got a thing for that. Cool. Another thing that seemed to come up, I guess, from their experience in developing the default stock Apple TV apps, it can be annoying sometimes that your item that you want focused next isn't focused. Like you're swiping and nothing's happening. Like, why isn't this focusing? Right. So they've built a a kind of debugging tool to help with that situation. Okay. There's a private method and it's private for a reason because they don't want you to use it in an actual shipping app. It's just meant to be used in the debugging console. Ah, okay. But the, so it's not private as in... Well, it is it is legit private. Oh, really? It's a private API. But they suggest you use it. They suggest you use it just for debugging because right. it is a debugging method. Yeah, okay. And which means because it is private, if you're in Swift, you have to call it using perform selector. So you've got to like reroute it through Objective-C basically to get to it. Dang. This method is, this is straight up what it's called, underscore because it's private. Why is this view not focusable? <laughs> <laughs> so you go... PO, print out whatever view you're trying to focus. You think it should be next in the focus chain. Yeah. Dot underscore, why is this view not focusable? Or dot perform (laughs) selector with a string. Oh, that's great. And then what they've done is it's kind of like a troubleshooting method. So they've situations they ran into when they were developing the apps. They've kind of made this analysis tool for them. And so it returns a like a message, kind of like a warning. So the example they gave was um, the view he was trying to select had user interaction enabled set to false. And so oh. the thing said, user interaction is not enabled. It so needs it to be enabled to be focusable. And, so it just goes through a bunch of stuff and figures out. Yeah, pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. The other one which they showed was the focus engine has kind of like a context it works through context, kind of how core data works, I guess. It's kind of hard to explain without being able to see it. But basically, when you hit a breakpoint, yep. if you set your breakpoint in the focus did change method or any other method that has this focus context, um, the context has actually got a quick look thing built into it, which no one that I spoke to knew about. So you can hit spacebar on that focus context, yep. and it will kind of bring up a debug view. So it just renders an image of what the focus engine is thinking. So it right. shows, so it, shows I, it shows kind of like the rectangle it's looking in. Views that are focusable show up in one color. Views that aren't focusable are kind of like grayed out. And so you can use that to see where it's going. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Which is pretty cool. I never think of using quick look on variables in the debugger. So there might be a whole pile of other ones I don't know about as well. Yeah, the 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 thing about quick look is that it's it's kind of hidden, but it's like super useful when you're trying to 
I don't know, quickly look at something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Table view and collection view and stuff all have a whole pile of this focus behavior built in for you yep. to make it easier. So yep. use the standard controls unless they're really not working for you. Then you can have to do something custom. Yeah. Table views, you might come into a situation where certain rows you don't want to be focusable for whatever reason. There's a new delegate method on table view to handle that situation. It's kind of like table view row is focusable. You, you might be able to, like you might use that to do things like you have a table view row that just shows, like it has a label and a you know a value or something. Yeah. Yeah. Collection views, by default, don't do that thing where the image gets closer to you. You have to implement it yourself. No. So oh. they did that on purpose because they really wanted collection view to be like more customizable yeah. to be the kind of go-to view for your layout. Yep. And so they didn't put it on by default because they thought in a lot of situations, this won't make sense. Right. So where it is, it's actually hiding an image view. So an image view on Apple TV has a property on it, which is adjust images when ancestor focused. Ah. So if you set that to true, when it's super view becomes focused, the image view will resize up and get big and do the parallaxy thing. So uh, it is built as in. As, as long as you use like the parallax image format that they... Oh, so create. they... Yeah, if you've got a parallax image, it will do the layered parallax. If you don't, it will still do the like it'll kind do of rotating, ah, but cool. it'll be flat. Yeah. And they said that's totally fine. You don't have to... It still looks good without you parallax. Do you do have to. <laughs> I, I do. This is, this is my rule. You have to. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> don't go implementing that yourself. They said it would take a lot of work. And the problem is if you did it yourself, you'd probably... Like, miss just slightly and end up in some sort of uncanny valley. Yeah, okay. Okay, so the focus engine kind of works with swipes on the remote. Yep. But you have to think about some games want you to um, hold the remote in landscape. Others want you to hold it in portrait. And the touchpad was designed to be used in portrait, basically. The y-axis is up and down in portrait. And the x-axis is left and right in portrait. So by default, when you rotate that remote around into landscape... It's not going to switch that for you. But the remote knows what orientation it's in, yeah? Correct. But by default, it's not going to switch it for you. Yeah. But you can turn that on. So there is a method to allow the, ro the remote to switch orientation. Yeah. So they, it's not on by default because people with remotes, you might be lying down on the couch, yeah. pointing it at your TV, and that could kind of drift into landscape. It's kind of the initial like problem when, with lying in bed. Yeah, like when the you're orientation trying to yeah, read, read a news article in bed and you're... Exactly. Ah, so by default, it's keeps, locked. Yep. Yep. They, you yep. unlock it if you do want them to use it in landscape and they picture that situation to be more for games. Okay. So more sitting up on the couch, playing with the remote rather than just like lying on the couch, chilling out, playing with your Apple TV. Yeah, okay. And it's just a property on... I think it was on UI Remote. It just allows rotation to true. And then they'll apply the transform to you to your swipey touch coordinates on the pad. So you don't okay. have to worry about rotating them yourself. Okay, cool. That's that's useful. So from here with this topic, it kind of drifted more into the gaming space. So the points became more related to games. So if you're not going to make games, you don't have to worry about this too much. But the next point was make sure to think about the screensaver time. So if you've got a game where I guess it involves long periods of watching without having to push any buttons or something, you got to watch out that that screensaver doesn't kick in. Yep. So you can turn it off just like you can on iOS. Yep. You can say keep Disable screen away. Disable auto lock or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That, that method still works. This is where they again mentioned overriding the menu button. Can You can do it. You can catch that menu button, did press method and do whatever you want with it. But it has to do something to do with going back. So for games, most of the time, it means bring up the pause screen where I can access 
restart level, exit, stuff like that. You can't override the volume keys and you can't override what is the home button? It doesn't look like a home button. It, it looks, looks like, like a screen. Monitor, yeah. It looks like looks this like is what TV. I push to switch the source on my TV. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> a TV, which is weird. That's the home button. Yep. Pro tip, double tapping the home button is how you kill an app. Yeah, you get the, I never, you get the, you get the multitasking, multitasking screen. Multitasking screen, just no similar to that. what you get on iOS or used to get. It's it's kind of like the old iOS it is, yeah. multitasking screen. Yeah. So the next point was how many controllers can I have connected at the same time? And the answer to that is two MFI controllers, which is made for iPhone. Yep. And one Siri remote, oh. which isn't as many as you'd expect, right? Yeah. That's There's like also, most game consoles handle at least four. Yeah, I know. Like it's been a thing for a while that you can have four people because that means you can divide the screen up into like quarters. But that's not even like three people. Like that's three people. How do you divide the screen up? <laughs> <laughs> that's it right. Just like so, columns, I guess. Or Who knows? I think the point is you're either going to be using made-for-iPhone controllers, so two-player, yeah. or you're going to be using the Siri remote one-player. Yeah, okay. But they are dual-stay-connected at the same time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And they said you also, just like with the whole living room experience thing, you have to think about, it's not as easy as assuming multiple controllers means multiple players. It could just mean they have multiple controllers sitting on a table and they could pick up any one and want to start using the Apple TV. So think about that when you're designing your, probably, game if you're using these type of controllers don't just lock them into using one controller if it would work with any controller at the same time just take input from any controller yeah okay but then once you get into a game you can kind of that's right so they kind of showed on the menu screen say you would take input from any controller to scroll around that menu screen and then once they started a new game you could then assume that that controller was say player one right right. which is what a lot of games do that's pretty common yeah that's fairly that's pretty common behavior yeah. So that was interesting. Um, the other thing is, you might already know this, apps must support the Siri remote. So you can't put a game up in the store. Seeing that, yeah. You can't put a game up in the store that only works on made-for-iPhone controllers. So you have to be able to play like the full game with the Siri remote. Correct, I believe, yeah. Which is very limiting. That's probably going to kill their limiting. whole dream to be a games console. But I don't think that is actually what they're aiming for here. They're just like, cool, we can play games as well, but it's more for media, maybe. Maybe that's what they're yeah, thinking. Yeah, I, th- I think they're trying to get into the games and the media thing. But just like, like casual, casual maybe, style. Maybe. The, the, I mean, the remote has has more kind of... The Siri remote has a few more kind of things that you... Yeah, so the Siri remote's like a Wii remote. It has do. a gyro it, and it has a gyroscope and stuff. So you could use it theoretically like it. I mean, but half of the fun of a Wii game is that you can have like four people exactly. all playing like doubles tennis. <laughs> That was fun. How good was Wii Tennis and Wii Bowling? Both were awesome. So games, this kind of continued. It flowed on into games are big. They take up a lot of room on the Apple TV. Yep. Um, the Apple TV is a space-limited device. So they, they picturing apps for the Apple TV are probably going to be resource-intensive with their full-screen images for that full cinematic experience. Uh, <laughs> so... This is where the whole on-demand resources talk started. Yeah, okay. So the cool thing about on-demand resources is previously apps were limited to four gigabytes. That was the max size your app could be. Yep. And that was based on the install experience. Downloading more than four gigabytes on a lot of people's internet would be terrible. It would take so long. Yep. But apps that use on-demand resources are limited to 20 gigabytes, but you have to obviously split them up. You can't just have them all be sliced, but all required at yeah, launch. okay. So you can't just have it all download at once. So there's still a limit on your initial download. Yep. Um, and the way it works, so I'd never looked into any of this. The way it works is you 
have resource tags. So you tag different groups based on what's needed. And there are two tags for need these straight away. So there's one tag for this will be downloaded at install time. But there's another tag for this will be start downloading after the app has finished installing. So mm. it's pretty vital, yeah. but not so vital that you have to stop them from launching the app. So you'd probably use it for level one. So yeah. you want your, you definitely require your menu screen and stuff to be there ready for app launch. Yep. So that comes down at install time. Yep. But after that, you can let them open the app even if level one is still downloading and it might just show a progress bar. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you might just kind of, you might have like a video that's you know down that that gets played at like a cut screen that gets you into the game first and then yeah and so then they talked about kind of the thinking you can go into to manage this process so they really want you to try and make it invisible to the user because that's the best user experience so each tag can be assigned a kind of current state which includes gonna need it using it these aren't the official names but this is what it boils down to i'm gonna need it I'm using it right now or have used, you can get rid of it now. Yep. So when you're on level one, level one would be using it. Using it now. Currently. Yep. Definitely don't get rid of this. Yep. That, that would, would be awful. That would be terrible. <laughs> um, level two would probably be marked as start the download. I'm going to need this soon. Yep. And then moving on to level two, you could probably mark level one as I've used it now. Probably not going to need it again. This is for a game. Yeah. Like different apps are different, but this was the example they gave. So then level three would become going to need it soon. Level one would become get rid of it, and level two is using it now. Right. Um, the cool thing, though, is it's they only start deleting stuff if the Apple TV is actually space-constrained, to space-constrained. So if your Apple TV has heaps of room left, nothing's getting deleted. So it only starts getting deleted when the Apple TV is actually full. Yeah, okay. And they've tried their best to make it the API easy to use because I've used this. So Google's had this for a while, and I encountered this early on in my Android developer life. And it's it's quite hard to use. So you have to manage the situation the whole time of what if that thing's actually not there, which is annoying because you have to like constantly be thinking about, all right, it's not there. I'm going to have to throw up the screen with a download progress. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of thing where, I mean, GIF, GIF wrapped as an example, anytime that you download it, like you open an image, it may not be there. It might, it might be, we might have opened one that's on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to like, I have to throw up a, you know, download progress bar and all that sort of stuff. So, that, you know, and I mean, that's kind of my own use case, but if you're going to do that for all, like, you know, all of your levels and stuff like that, that, I can see that being kind of annoying. I mean, there's no real way around that. You still are going to have to make sure to check things are there, but the API is just hooked into NS bundle. So any call to that file path, you just use them as if they are there. Yeah. And any call to that file path, if it's not there, will trigger the download. Okay. So you're still going to have to manage the situation when none of your resources are there. But it is, does look like the API has been thought about as much as they can. There's another API for just check if it's there, but don't actually start the download. But if it is already there, then it makes it available, sort of. It's kind of like yeah. this asynchronous method that you know has a block. And inside the block, if the resource was there, it makes it available for use. You, you but if can, it wasn't it. there... Yeah. It's not actually going to trigger the download, which comes okay. in handy when you just want to show a menu screen. So you can show a menu screen that has icons on each of the levels, whether or not they're actually downloaded to provide the user with some sort of feedback about what's available for play right sense. now, yep. what would need to be downloaded if I tapped on it. Yep. So normally if you just queried all of the resource paths, it would trigger the download for all of them. So there is a separate method for query without actually starting the download. Useful. Very useful. 
and something that would have been very annoying to run into if it didn't exist. Yeah. So luckily they did think about that. So all of this resource on demand stuff is built into Xcode. It's another one of those capabilities that's in that big screen. There's yep. a whole other tab for setting tags on your resources in your project. And these are used when you upload your app to the App Store. But before you've actually put your app up in the App Store, you're going to want to be able to test this out, right? Right. So the way it works for App Store apps is it queries the App Store for the resource and pulls it back down. So this is supported in TestFlight. You can test it out, but you're not going to want to be building and running to App to Store every time. Yep. So Xcode can act as a proxy server for on-demand resources. Xcode can do everything. I know. I swear. <laughs> one I swear, more feature for Xcode. Yeah. I, I swear one day we'll... we'll We'll be able to get Xcode to like wash our dishes or something. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, just be, it'll just be this feature is built into Xcode. So there's two ways you can do it. There is a build setting, which if it's on, it's just meant to be as a debug setting. If it's on, your app will be automatically rejected by the App Store. It's yep. like include all resources in bundle. So everything's just going to be there when you build. That's one way to get around it, which is good most of the time. When you're just actually working on a feature that has nothing to do with on-demand resources, you're just like, you know, in the normal build and run stage. Yep. Um, and then when you're testing the actual download of resources and stuff, Xcode acts as a proxy and then they recommend you use some sort of network link conditioner because Xcode is going to be very fast compared to what it would be like over the internet. Yep. So they make sure, go and test it with the network link conditioner, which is in the Apple TV, it's in the settings, you can turn it on. Um, so yeah, do that. Cool. That's pretty much on-demand resources, which are, I would say, basically required for any app on the Apple TV based on that you don't have data storage at all. They picture every app that's bigger than, I mean, you can still go up to four gigs without having to use it, but they really want apps that are like resource-intensive, mainly games, to use this app slicing on-demand resources thing. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can imagine that if your app is mostly just regular old views, then, then you probably wouldn't use no. it. But let's say that you were creating, a, I don't know, a clock app because there seems to be a handful of those. Uh, (laughs) You could download more clock faces. You could could download more clock faces. And so you'd have like a list of, you know, where you can go through and and choose the ones and it would just, you know, provide them based on whether or not they were downloaded, I guess. I don't don't know. This example has not been well thought out. (laughs) No, but it's it's legit. One more thing that I just remembered, you can also host resources on your own server, which is for enterprise apps, if that's relevant to you. Which there is There is support for that. Yeah. So after that, There was a break after that. I think that was the lunch break moment. So there was a big break. And then the afternoon talks were more technical. And like I've said, you should just go and watch the video. It would be much better than probably listening to me say it on a podcast. You'll get the slides as well. But then came that last talk, which was from the App Store team. No one really knew what it was going to be about. And it was by far the best talk of the day. This was the App Store team basically talking about what they do, which as far as I know, they've never done before. At least I'd never seen an App Store talk like this. So what they went into was some advice on picking your business model, what they go through when they're featuring an app, how the editor's choice sort of works, how the App Store front page works, how the categories work, all of that. They gave keyword advice, so everything. So we'll start with this one most people already know, but all features are handpicked. There is no pay to get featured at all in the App Store. I know some people believe there is, but no. So everything is handpicked. Obviously, what they're going for is apps that people are going to like on their Apple TV, right? Right. So this was specific to the Apple TV, but you can just replace the word Apple TV with iOS and it would still apply. Pretty much. So they're looking for apps that are using all the features in clever ways, um, especially a newly released feature, which for Apple TV is everything. They then talked about helping to pick your business model. 
So when you're deciding about making an app, they want you to think about this really early on because if you pick it late, it will really show in your app as being kind of just shoved in. Whereas you think about it from the start, especially if you're doing freemium, you want it to be natural. Yep. So they actually gave some figures on apps on the App Store and what business model they're using. Hmm. So on iOS, 73% of apps are free with no in-app purchase. Right. Or at least, so they might still be making money some other way, but they don't use in-app purchase. Yep. 18% are paid, 8% are freemium using in-app purchase, Yep. and 1% are paymium, which I've never actually heard that term before, but it means they're paid and also include in-app purchase. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. And so they were like, you would think this would apply to TV, but so far it hasn't. And they're saying it is early days, so you can't read into this too much. But hmm. so far, 38% of apps on the Apple TV are free, 47% are paid, 12% are freemium, and 3% are premium. So, so far, paid is the biggest, yeah. the biggest business model on the Apple TV. That's interesting. And you also have to think about what your users are going to be expecting. Like, say you had to download the iTunes app. It would be free, right? And then you'd pay for movies. Right. People are used to that. They're expecting it. Yeah. People wouldn't expect to probably have to, I guess, pay a whole pile of $100 for the iTunes app and then get in there and have to pay for movies. For movies, yeah. That wouldn't be successful. So think about what other people in your industry are doing. This kind of goes back to our last episode as well. Just what people are going to be expecting from your app. So yeah. there's still no trials, obviously. And there are still, like, the thing is, is that there are still cases where you might pay for the app and also pay for stuff in the app. One example of something that I had been tossing up was a game where you pay for the game and you get a bunch of levels as part of the game. Yeah. But then you can also buy, like, level, like, add-ons or whatever. It's a, it's kind of the same thing when you buy, like, you can buy an, a, a game like The Sims and you buy, like... The, well, the pets expansion, expansion pack, pack yeah. and the go to school, like, I don't know. So they kind of boiled it down to you either aim for reach, for revenue, or for both. Yep. Reach, obviously free, revenue paid, or both free with, that's basically freemium. Yeah. You also have to think really hard about if you support universal purchase. And universal purchase is if I buy the iOS app, do I get the TV app? Or yep. vice versa, works both ways. Because you can only decide that once. You can't change that decision no matter what you decided first. It's not like you can put your tvOS app out there and later on bundle them together. It doesn't work like that. And the same works opposite. If you ever support a universal purchase, there is no way to remove it. And if you've supported universal purchase, you can now no longer take one app down. So if you had an iOS and a TV app and you decide the TV app is no longer supported, you can't take that TV app down without taking the iOS app down. Damn. I know. What? It's a big point. That is massive. So that's why they're saying you have to think hard about whether you support that or not. Yeah. Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I expected it to be like a thing where you had to, th like, I mean, you should think about it. Like, that's the sort of thing where you have to consider whether that's right for you. Yeah. So they gave but, the example of a free app. If they're both free, yeah. there's no reason not to support it unless you plan on changing it in the future, I guess. Or unless you change your mind, want to change your mind yeah. later. A paid app, you obviously got to put more thought into that. Yeah. So then they talked about um, localized content. Localizing really helps with sales, apparently. Yep. They gave some figures on what are the top iOS markets. They said they can't share the top Apple TV markets at the moment because it's too early and yeah. people would read into it. But so the top iOS markets are the USA. I don't think these are in order. So these were just put up on the, the USA screen. USA is definitely the biggest. Everyone knows USA is the biggest. The other top markets are Japan, China, UK, Australia, Canada, Germany, France, Korea, and Taiwan. Those are the yeah. biggest iOS markets. 
So you probably want to localize for those ones. But then they also gave what they think is the best order to localize in. English first, which most people assume. Then hit the European countries. Okay. Then so Japan. Yeah, okay. And then the other ones. Right. That is, in their experience, the best order based on, trying, I guess, trying to get sales. Yeah. They also threw in a mention that Apple TV is currently quite popular in Sweden and the Netherlands. So you might want to localize for there if right. you're making an Apple TV app. Okay. Interesting. After that, they gave some advice. And this was, I learned something here. Some advice on keywords. So you get 100 characters and they suggest you use all of them. And you don't have to include spaces between your keywords, which I didn't actually know. When I've typed them before, I've gone like, you know, burrito, comma, space, pasta. I've never made a <laughs> cooking app. That's just what came into my head. <laughs> but you get what I mean, are right? Are you hungry, man? Are you, I am a little yeah. hungry. Okay. Don't chuck that space in. You're wasting a character. Yep. They also said no need to include plurals. So if you're making a reading app, you don't have to include book and books. Okay. You don't have to include anything to do with your app name. Your app name is already included in your keywords by default. The search already searches the app name. So yep, this, title, it yeah. would be redundant to put it in the keywords. Yep. You don't have to put in your category. So if you're in the entertainment category, don't use entertainment as one of your keywords. Okay. It's redundant. Yep. But what does work well is synonyms for the category. Ooh. So they say that is good. So a book app, you might have read or... Oh, man, now I can't think of synonyms for, <laughs> for reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the example. Another point they made, which everyone I think already knows if you've made an app, you can't use trademarks in your keywords unless you actually have the right to use that trademark. Yeah, okay. Apparently, a lot of people try and use the keyword Netflix. <laughs> like, they actually put that up there. Well, this is, this is part of the reason that's so, like, that searching in the app store is so annoying. People use, like, people use other apps', other names. apps names as, like, their keywords. So yeah. They will come up when people search for that app. So it's they, actually really annoying. They did suggest. They say you can't look up other apps' keywords and they can't show us everything on the app store is private. That all information is private. So they couldn't show us what keywords popular apps were using. Right. They just gave an example and she swears it was made up because everyone was assuming it was the kids' app they had been showing like the entire presentation. Right. She's like, I swear this is made up, but we're just <laughs> going to make keywords for this imaginary kids' educational app. Yep. So yeah, that was really good because I didn't know a lot of that stuff. And then they moved on to what actually gets featured and how to get featured. And the first point was, great apps get featured. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> end, end of talk. End of talk. No, so what they're looking for on the Apple TV is, it's unique. It does something unique for the TV that probably wasn't possible before. Yep. It really takes into account that it's in a living room. So it's not just a phone app ported to a big screen. It's a kind of new experience for the living room. Yep. That's what they're looking for. Yep. Intuitive use of the remote. So it's not confusing. A lot of apps on the Apple TV, are, it's quite confusing how to use the remote because there's so little buttons, right? And so people have come up with clever ways around that, but it means you can't just hand the remote to someone and they're going to know how to use it. You yeah. kind of need an explanation. So they don't like that for apps that are featured. So you have to consider the first run experience and the first time user experience because that's what App Store editors are. So if your app is confusing to use with the remote, even if it becomes more obvious once you've used it, App Store editors look at a lot of apps and that's kind of going to write you out because they're just going to be like too confusing next app. You know? Yeah, okay. So that first impression really counts. Yeah. So really like nail your, if you're using onboarding, make sure it's relevant. So they don't like, they like onboarding when it's required. Yes. 
but yes. they prefer apps oh. that they didn't say they prefer apps that didn't use it but they showed a lot of examples of apps that didn't actually have onboarding that a lot of people would have put onboarding in and it was mainly games so you know it's pretty common for games these days to just throw you in and let you work it this, out this is a this is a bugbear with me mm-hmm. onboarding is like a huge thing that i just i just cannot I, I just cannot let go of yeah so they say they even had a talk on designing um good onboarding so they are still saying it's like use it but just try to minimize it. I, it's just things like you, you get these, uh, and I think I've explained, I've given this exact example on a previous episode, but it's just things like if, if you're all you're doing is just giving instructions on this is how you use the app. It's not, I don't find that useful. I don't find that good. Yeah. I don't know if that's, that's the same. That's pretty much what they yeah. said as well. Because there was an app that I downloaded once uh, for the iPhone, which was like, it was just a sketching app. It was just like a drawing app. Uh, and I mean, that sounds really simple, right? But no, of course, like with the advent of paper 53's paper as yeah. opposed to the other papers with the advent of like of of paper uh it became a really cool thing to have like a an app where you use gestures to to do things like you know you tap three times with three fingers and it, that you know rewinds or whatever and so the onboarding for this app that i was trying out went through all of those gestures as you were trying yeah. to to do like without like letting you do them like try them out or anything you were kind of just shown these like these gestures and then you couldn't look it up again. So I was just like, swipe, 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 swipe. Okay, I'm good. Start drawing. Okay, how do I undo? So they actually kind of mentioned that situation, I think, in the onboarding design talk. Yeah. Where if you're finding that you have to do a lot of that, yeah, probably means you've designed your app wrong. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There are other ways of, of, of showing that sort of stuff. And yeah, I mean, that kind of goes into the whole thing with gestures not really very discoverable so yeah um the last point they made on what gets featured is performance matters so they're not going to let you away with if you scroll through a big list and it starts you know stuttering skipping, skipping yeah. frames and yeah. stuff yeah app store editors look at a lot of apps and so they recognize good apps they're not going to let you away with that if your app crashes you're pretty much out of the game oh, which is fair enough that's fair <laughs> that's fair look i mean if you're going to get featured that's that's kind of like higher level expectations that you are like one of the yeah. one of the top apps. So then they went through the process of how they actually select them. Yeah. Um so the app store most people know is refreshed on Thursday afternoon California time. Yep. They like to feature apps that are new or have been updated and would look new to existing users. So they're not going to feature a minor update even if it's for a big app because they don't want um existing users to go to the app store and see that app being featured because that might, you know, they might click on it then and go, ah, nothing's actually changed. Like, they're trying to avoid that situation. Yeah, okay. So for updated apps, they want you to have a feature in there that would be new and exciting for existing users. Okay, okay. They also like updates that are timed with some sort of theme they're doing or holidays that are coming up. So around Christmas, they feature apps that are Christmassy. So you would have seen a lot of games chuck in a Santa hat. Yep. (laughs) Something like that, and snowflakes on the menu screen. Yes. (laughs) (sighs) But they like that. They have a preference for localized content. So if you're going to get featured in Europe, you probably need to be localized there. That one's pretty obvious. And that's kind of all they said for the process they go through. So they okay. they are handpicked and there's different teams around the world for the different app stores. So it's not all done from Cupertino. Right. So then, this is probably the gold part of the talk, they gave an email address and they gave details on what they want in those emails. Okay. So the email address is, I think this is the new open Apple. These talks are going up online anyway. It used to be that if you got an Apple email address, you kept that thing as close as you yeah, could. You just, you didn't tell you anybody. You didn't tell anyone. You didn't, 
Yeah, but the email address is pretty generic, so I think it's pretty easy, pretty okay to read it out. Is app store promotion at apple.com. So app store promotion is all one word. All one word yep. at apple.com. At apple.com. And here's what they want in that email. And they swear they do read them, although now they're going to be swamped with them. <laughs> <laughs> Just billions of emails yep. from um, all the app, uh, app developers. Here's what they want. They want product details. App ID, category, and a feature overview. So they kind of want you to sell it to them. Yeah, and okay. there's heaps of talks in, about pitching in your emails. So keep it short. They're not going to read a wall of text. Yep. Always include your Apple ID because they like to see that one, it's officially from the people that the made the app. Made the app, yep. And two, I think it makes it easier for them to find. Yep. They want a product roadmap as well as what you've just released. They want to know what you're doing in the future. And they do this because they might ask you to hold a release I mean, an update. Yeah. So that if you say, this one's very obvious, but it's for Christmas. If you say, I'm doing a Christmas update, I'm going to push it out in December. They might say, we've got, you know, a marketing thing around Christmas apps that's happening two weeks before Christmas. Yep. Would you hold your app until then? Okay. Because they like featured apps to have gone up the day of feature. So yeah, they like, okay. which, yep. which you would have seen on the app store. So a new app update comes out. They like the feature to be the day it comes out so yeah. that it's not stale when it gets featured. Yep, that makes sense. So yeah, that's why they ask for the product roadmap. They also want to include marketing and PR. So tell them what you're doing with your marketing and your PR, which includes like press release things and all of that. Yep. And they say they do that because the marketing team will look over it and might give you some advice. But I think it's also probably more that they don't want to feature an app that has an ad coming out that would be very... I guess, anti-Apple. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the other thing, probably one of the most important points is they want you to contact them three to four weeks before you actually plan to launch it. So that gives them enough time for their internal processes to work. So if you announce, if you send them an email saying, hey, I just released my app today, too late, never going to happen. Yep. Uh, so three to four weeks is the time they recommend. Too early, they're going to forget about it. Too late, it's impossible. So three to four weeks and that was it. But it was definitely the best talk of the day. Yeah, well, I mean, if there's going to be a video, we can... Yeah, watch the video. Go, go and watch the video because I'm sure that'll get get. Nice She's and... a good speaker as well. Yeah, Everyone who talked at the Tech Talk days were good speakers. So yep. good. Yeah, that was it. That's a bit a, of a marathon day. That's a that is a big day. Yeah, and I skipped half the talks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't skip them on the day. I skipped them just then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you missed all the like the afternoon talks. Yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow, that's a long. It's a long one. Thanks for listening if you're still here. Uh, if you're asleep, then it's time to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you would like to read any of the show notes, uh, the resources and stuff for the Tech Talks will be linked in the uh, in the episode. Or if you want to get in contact with us, you jump on our website. Uh, everything, is th- everything is there. It's mobilecouch.co. That's it. <laughs> it's mobilecouch.co. If you would like to uh, talk to us on Twitter, you can do that as well. The show is underscore mobile couch, all one word. And uh, Ben is also on Twitter individually. He is Ben Trangrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And I am also there as Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you for listening. It's a pleasure, as always, to be able to talk to you. And uh, thank you to our patrons who have supported the show uh, and, and you know and help us to make make it actually possible to continue to produce it um, if you'd like to help support the show as well you can do that as well we'd, we'd love to have you uh, on board just head to patreon.com forward slash mobile couch uh, or there's a link on our website and uh, you can you can help out by uh, you know uh, 
providing a dollar. Like It doesn't even have to be very much. <laughs> in, in any case, we look forward to talking to you again in two more weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Bye.